Well, hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi. And how the heck are you? How the hell are you? Anyway, I just got back from catering a pretty friggin' fantastic wedding, if I do say so myself. This one, um... Every wedding, there's different priorities. Like a lot of weddings that I cater, the guests are really into the open bar. They are just going to town, having five, six cocktails like right away. And a lot of the weddings I cater are all about love. A lot of them are all about the flowers. Well, this wedding, they didn't give a hoot about the bar. And they maybe had a couple of drinks, but really, the bartenders were like, what is going on? No one's drinking. All they wanted to do was eat. I mean it. I mean eat. They ate everything that wasn't nailed down. And luckily, I always bring too much food, thank God. So we had plenty of food. But well, for 150 guests, and the choice is salmon and plum ginger sauce or Senegalese chicken yasa, it's an either or thing, right? Nope. Everybody had both. And they had my famous collard green salad, collard green and bok choy salad, spectacular jasmine rice, barbecued vegetables, 100,000 hors d'oeuvres. I mean, they ate everything that wasn't nailed down. But you know what? I took that as a compliment. I really did. And, you know, it's like a funky time of year. January. It's cold. It's been a little gray and rainy and crappy and... You you could definitely get the Jan Feb blues. So it was nice when the sun made an appearance, even though it wasn't for long. And it was nice to just crank out some gorgeous food. So, um, I don't know. I've been, I've been in an interesting frame of mind the last few days. Something kind of weird happened. I, I had something that I posted on Facebook. And, you know, Facebook is its own animal, as you know, good and bad. But when my sister passed away in June of 2022, I was so shocked. And I found out because the police called me. It's a terrible, terrible way to find out that someone you love has died. And I put something up on Facebook just because I didn't have the strength or the energy to call everyone and tell them what had happened. And I got enormous love and appreciation and and support came from that. Well, a friend of mine from high school, I guess she was kind of scrolling down on my Facebook page and she came upon that post and she commented she was so sorry that she didn't know. And I replied, that's okay, sweetie, thank you. You know, whatever it was that I said. Anyway... Somehow that exchange reinvigorated the post. And so it posted again, like as if my sister had passed away yesterday or today. And I came home from work with all of these people sending love and condolences and all of this stuff. And I'm going, what is going on? Who else died? What are they sending me love about? But in fact, they thought that maybe my sister had just died because the post, like I said, was reinvigorated. It was kind of weird. Anyway, at first I was feeling kind of 
upset to have to think about it again, you know, to have to dwell on what happened. You know, it's kind of, I didn't want to go there. But then after a while, I just started really appreciating the loving, supportive, wonderful messages. And I wrote to everyone and said, this actually happened in June of 2022, but thank you so much. It's still very sad. I appreciate your support and the motion. Anyway, I guess it put me in kind of a strange frame of mind. So I went to sleep and I woke up at like 2.30 in the morning just feeling really strange. And I listened to Zen meditation music and I listened to a special meditation tape that I got right after my sister passed for healing and forgiving yourself and all sorts of things and went into kind of a deep place. And then in the morning, I had to wake up and go off and cater this wedding. And uh, so I was tired from not sleeping well and from the emotional sort of roller coaster. But some things actually came out of it, out of that roller coaster. And I thought a lot about it. And I guess the point is that I thought I had dealt with losing my sister and losing my best friend and losing my brother and my chef. I mean, I'm going to bore you or make you miserable, but it was a lot of loss for the last couple of years. I thought I was doing a great job dealing with it. And in the moment, I cried and I talked about it and then I found a way to move on. I've been painting portraits. I painted my brother and my friend and tried to paint my sister, but it turned into a self-portrait. Anyway, but what I realized is that almost as soon as I was feeling functional, I just threw myself into my art and my writing and my work and just said, it's time to live. Life is short, time to be in the light. But didn't really take the time to just kind of sit with the loss. I mean, just saying it out loud. Um, to have lost my sister and found out with a phone call from the police. It was just so shocking and horrifying to have lost my best friend since I was 11, a few months before that. All of these things and then to lose my brother. You know, it just, I don't know. I don't want to dwell on it because I don't want to depress you. But what I realize is that we don't talk about grief. Yes, you know what, maybe you're going to relate to this. Like the week someone dies, maybe for two weeks, if you're lucky, if you're really lucky, maybe for a month, people want to talk to you about it. And they're sort of hoping you don't want to talk about it when they say, I'm here if you want to talk. They're really hoping you don't want to talk about it. The truth of the matter is nobody wants to talk about it. We're all embarrassed about grief or ashamed to have grief or horrified by grief. I remember many years ago when my mother died, one of my closest friends avoided me for a year because she was afraid to talk to me about grief. It's like, what is the big deal? We're all going to lose someone if we haven't already. We're all going to have grief. So why can't we just talk about it? Why does it become this thing that we have to hide, that we have to get through, we have to push through. That was something I've been saying for a year now, I'm pushing through. I don't wanna depress anyone. 
you know, sometimes people ask me how I am and I start to say, well, I'm feeling a little sad about my sister and my brother and they're almost holding their breath, praying I'm not going to say anything else. And it's not that they're a selfish person. I guess it's just a human thing. We are ashamed of grief. We don't want to talk about it. But we should talk about it. We should just sit with it and talk about it. So I'm talking about it. And what I realize is that by trying to plow through it and trying to ignore it and trying to get over it, get over it, right? Trying to get over it and move on and get on to better things. I've done myself a disservice because it's still there. Maybe if I stayed with it more and talked about it more, it might break up into little bits and not be such a boulder inside, you know? And what I heard recently, something was very clever. Um, A friend of mine told me, you should really listen to Anderson Cooper. He's got a podcast on grief. And I said, you mean like a one-time show? She's like, no, the whole series. It's for a couple of years, I think, or something. More than a year anyway. It's all about grief. Evidently, he's had an enormous amount of it. And so I was reluctant to listen to that because I didn't want to dwell on grief. I wanted to push through it, right? But just when I was kind of pondering this whole thing, I decided I would listen to one episode. And I always liked Anderson Cooper. He's cute, and he's honest, he's raw, you know? Anyway, that's the deal. He was honest and raw. And really just kind of saying it and starting to cry. He's mourning his mother and his brother and his father. And what I learned from that one episode is that if you do just kind of shove the grief down or push it through or get over it or all those things that we want to do and try to do, you don't make room for it, then you're also kind of squashing down your ability for real joy. And I think about it, it's true. So I'm... I'm not saying I'm going to roll in my grief because that's kind of gross. It's not my style. But I'm going to make room for it. I'm going to make a lot of room for it. And I'm going to try to talk about it and as much as I can without horrifying my friends and making them run in the opposite direction. But I just kind of want to call out this thing we do. Like, why does grief have to be something to be ashamed of? I mean, and it's not contagious. I think negative, being negative can be contagious and something to avoid. But giving room for real grief and speaking about it and not ignoring it and not trying to cover it over with blankets of stress and crap, I think it's okay to talk about it. So I realize this is a rather dark show, but it's not really a dark show. Because by giving myself room, by giving us room for our grief, bringing it into the light and just letting it air out, speak of it, you know, really just don't try and hide it. I'm also doing the same thing for my joy. I want to be fully open to huge, huge, vast amounts of joy. So... It's interesting that Facebook decided to repost that. They almost said, you know what, here we are. A year and a half later, it's time for you to really deal with it. 
And as much as I spent my most of my adult life worrying about my sister and trying to save her, in the end, I have to say that she did have she did have a secret. She did she did have a secret to enjoying life, and that was she was really dancing to her own beat. She was unchangeable. I tried for at least 50 years to change her, to make her healthier and more normal and more palatable and have an easier life. I would try, try, tried. And she was unchangeable. She knew who she was. She knew what she was. And she was bouncing to her own beat. And sometimes it was scary and sometimes it was sad. and Sometimes it was hysterical. She was the funniest person I ever met in my life. One of of the funniest things about my sister is she just had no impulse control. So we were in the Mammoth Mall when we were kids, which now they're going to tear down and turn into luxury housing, I think, which kind of makes me sad. But we spent like half our childhood in the Mammoth Mall. So we were in the Mammoth Mall, and there was an old man bent over at the water fountain, And my sister saw that old man's butt in the air as he was bent down at the water fountain. And she ran up and she smacked him on the tushy. And he jumped up. He was horrified. I mean, thank God he didn't have a heart attack, but he was really freaked out. Now, another thing my sister loved to do was to speak in rhymes. So he, I don't know if he was going to call the cops or what. But my sister said, next time it cost a dime. And then she trotted away laughing like a maniac, like this deep, crazy, maniacal laughter. She just got such a kick out of it. She just went, ah, ha, ha, ah, ha, ha. just thrilled with herself. And the old man never called the cops, thank God. So I was like, I was like, yeah, yeah, you can't do that. You're going to get arrested. She was like, old geezer had it coming. And I'm like, what did he do to have it coming? She said, he taunted me with his butt by being bent over. So he deserved it. (laughs) Anyway, she was having the time of her life. And then I remember in Asbury Park, New Jersey, this was in the late 70s and early 80s, that era, when Asbury was very dangerous. It really was. I mean, you really had to watch your tush in Asbury in the late 70s and the 80s. My sister was driving around, and I was in the car with her, and she was like, let's go have some fun. So I thought, we're going to an arcade, because she loved arcades. She loved everything kids love. But no, that's not what she meant by having fun. She would pull up to a really scary-looking street gang or someone who was obviously a criminal, like a really criminal, scary-looking gang or a person, just someone that you want to kind of keep running and not really slow down. She would pull up to them, roll down her window, and bark at them. And not just like a bark. She, she, I guess it would be if it was a cartoon, it'd be spelled A-R-F. So she'd roll down the window and go, arf, 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 like really loud. And this person was like, what? You know, they just wanted to come and kill her, I think. And then she'd roll up the window and drive away laughing hysterically. And I was like, Yaya, you're going to get us killed. And she's like, I can't be killed. I'm a, I'm a dog. I can't be killed. You can't kill the dog. You know, just arf, arf, arf. She just loved it. So I don't know. 
I'm not saying it's a normal thing to do. I don't recommend going up to scary criminals and drug dealers and barking at them. But she found a way to keep herself entertained. She was having the time of her life. I remember when we were teenagers, she really embraced this kind of femme fatale look. She reminded me of Loney Anderson from WKRP in Cincinnati. I know, I know you're too young and you don't know the show. Screw off. It was funny. Anyway, so she had what kind of, her hair was dyed almost white, like a platinum blonde with black roots, kind of a yellowish platinum blonde. And she had a rabbit fur coat and tight jeans and candy heels and clip-on hoop earring because her ears weren't pierced. And she loved to drink Diet Coke all day. I mean, she was really probably a poster child for... Um, we considered her to be like a Jewish American princess, but kind of like a Long Island-looking uh, feminita. But this is Jersey. Jersey, Long Island, you know, potatoes, potatoes. Anyway, so she announced one day that she was going to go to truck driving school. And we were all laughing. We were like, yeah, right. I mean, my sister could hardly drive, actually. She, she didn't mind barking at people, but she wasn't a very good driver. She announced she was going to go to truck driving school, and we didn't believe her. Just laughed. I laughed. Anyway, sure enough, she went to 18-wheeler truck driving school. And she got a job driving an 18-wheeler. To this day, I still can't believe she did it. I mean, I have never been as proud of her as I was when she managed to graduate from 18-wheeler truck driving school. I still can't believe it. And then she got her first big job. And this was a job that was her first long-distance one where she was going to be going to Ohio, to Cincinnati. And... I don't know how long it's supposed to take to drive from Jersey to Cincinnati. Was Is that like 14 or 15 or 16 hours? Something something like that. I mean, it's a kind of drive I guess a trucker would get there certainly in a day, you know, or day and a half or something. But what happened was, because we grew up traveling around the country in this camper over my dad's Ford pickup, so... When my sister hit the road, she kind of felt like she was on vacation. And it was, a, it was a serious truck. It had a cabin in the back. And some of those cabins, you could really live in them. You have a little bed and you could hang out and spend the night. And, you know, you really are camping. But she hit the road and she felt like she was on vacation. So she drove by an outlet store and she went shopping. And she drove by a miniature golf course and she played some golf. She drove by an amusement park. Well, that was her favorite, of course. And she rode the rides, and she had fun, and she got some popcorn and cotton candy. Just constantly, anything that looked great, she would go and do. And then she could just sleep in her cabin at her own little hotel on wheels. So she was loving it. Anyway, uh, she was driving a load of fish sticks. I believe they were Mrs. Paul's fish sticks. And... She finally pulled into Cincinnati. They were expecting her, I think, like I said, like 16 hours later or something. She pulled in like six days later. And the fish was packed on dry ice and it melted and the fish kind of melted and everything was a disaster. And my sister lost that job. I think she just could not understand 
why on earth she lost the job. So she announced they were anti-Semitic and that's why she lost the job. And that may be true. I don't know. Who knows? But I don't think that's why she lost the job. I think it's because she showed up six days later and the fish sticks thawed out and probably all had to be thrown out or fed to a cat. I don't know. But she did have the time of her life. I think of her out there on the highway in the 18-wheeler, feeling like she was on vacation forever and playing golf and riding the rides. You know, she knew how to live. She really did. So I believe what I'm going to be doing is just embracing her and embracing my best friend, Susie Starlight, my beautiful friend, and embracing my baby brother, my truly obnoxious, really, really, really obnoxious baby brother. We added, I mean, if you looked in the dictionary, annoying baby brother, a picture of my baby brother would show up. He loved to chase his sisters around and try to wipe his nose droppings on us. I mean, really horrible stuff. But I wasn't prepared to lose him. So I've just tried, I just, I'm going to start to embrace the joy and the laughter and give room for the grief and not try to obliterate it open my heart to it, but also to true joy and true laughter. So I guess the deal with losing people that you love, even if it's a problematic relationship, I had a very problematic relationship with my brother, really. Lots of chazarai. And a really stressful relationship with my sister. Vast amounts of chazarai. But love them both, of course. So the deal is make room for the grief. Open your heart to the joy. You never really lose people that you love. They always kind of, they're like a ride along with you after that. It's like if you're the subway train, they're in one of your cars. They're always there somewhere. Not right in front of your face. You know, somewhere in the back of your mind, in your heart, they're always there. And so what I think I'm going to do, like I said is not try to ignore the grief, but to make room for it and to open my heart to true joy. So I wish that for you. Have you lost someone? Are you just trying to ignore it? You're finding that no one wants to talk about it except for your shrink that you paid to talk about it. Well, just talk about it anyway. And if someone is having heartache, don't try to advise them and lecture them and tell them what to do with their heartache. Just let them vent and talk about it. That's the kindest thing you could do because people really, really, really don't want to talk about grief. And I'm one of them. You know, I've done it too. Just kind of been like, oh God, I hope they don't want to talk about it. But sometimes they do and you just have to let them. So I got to make some magical food and that really warmed my soul. Like a collard green and bok choy salad, that is serious. Let me tell you something. The cool thing about it is you don't have to cook the collard greens or the bok choy because if it's marinated long enough, it kind of gets cooked. So I made a killer dressing with rice wine vinegar and some gluten-free tamari and a little honey and a little chili. And I also pureed some fresh ginger and some garlic and a little bit of oil and a little pinch of sugar, and a little pinch of salt. I think that was it. A little drizzle of sriracha, 
Sri Racha. I love saying that. I made this amazing dressing, if I do say so myself. And so we washed the collard greens and then we sliced it, really julienned it in little strips. And we washed the bok choy and we julienned that as well. And we kind of made like almost little triangles. And then we marinated both of them in this dressing. The collard greens are marinated for about two hours and the bok choy for about one hour. And then we mixed the two together in a big giant wooden bowl. And it was just sublime. I mean, but really you would, you would think it was steamed and cooked, but it was just cooked with the dressing. It was amazing. Imagine this plate of the salmon and plum ginger sauce, which I talked to you about last week, and the chicken yasa, which I talked to you about last week as well, with some jasmine rice and the gorgeous collard green and bok choy salad. It was a fabulous, fabulous thing. That's all I'm going to say. So what else? We also had the rice actually was worth a conversation too. I cook rice a lot of different ways, but the trick is that it's one to one and a half. So for one quart of rice, you want a quart and a half of liquid. Now, what we love to do with our rice is to saute it first, kind of toast it. Get some olive oil in a big skillet hot. And then we put our rice in and we cook and cook and cook and cook until we've really kind of toasted it and changed it a little bit. It's got to be nice and toasted and hot. And then we put that in a baking pan that we've kind of greased up. And we boil our liquid, like I said, one and a half times the rice. And we season it heavily with salt and pepper. We pour that over our rice and then we wrap up the baking pan and put it in the oven for about a half hour. It comes out perfect. And if we want sauteed onions in it, we'll either saute the onions with the rice or saute the onions after the rice is cooked and mix it in. Anyway, it was some beautiful rice. That was Manuelito who made the rice. He's such a talented baby. So I'm giving a lot of, I have to be grateful right now for fabulous people who work with me and work for me like Manuelito and his gorgeous rice. And he did a great job cooking our sides of salmon too. And Salafi, Celeste, I call her Salafi, that's her Buffy name, who did this gorgeous buffet and then simultaneously had to make Peking duck steamed buns for the cocktail hour and shiitake mushroom tacos. That's hard to do both of them. And Jeremiah, who cranked out the hors d'oeuvres, a really great team. So I'm a little all over the place, I know. But basically, what I want to tell you is that I'm not going to hide my grief anymore. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. And you shouldn't either. If, you're lo- if you lost someone, I don't care if it's 50 years ago or 100 years ago or yesterday, and you feel sadness and you feel grief, don't try to muffle it and hide it and run from it and just, you know, be ashamed of it. Just let it out. It's part of you. Your loved one is part of you. Let it out and embrace it and make room for it and talk about it as much as you possibly can. Just go ahead and let it out. And then you can open your heart and your soul to real joy because that's what holds you back. You know, muffling the grief also muffles the joy. So that's my two cents about it. And here, you're probably thinking, Chef Rossi, I, I, 
listen to your podcast because you always cheer me up and now you're talking about something sad. But am I really? Yes, I'm sad. Yes, I have grief. Yes, you do too. It's something we all do. But by opening our heart and soul and not trying to muffle it, we're also doing the same thing for our joy and the same thing for our happiness. I wish for you a full and open and wonderful heart. I wish for you the strength to embrace your grief and let it out and talk it out and shout it out. And then to embrace joy and passion and glory, full-fledged with nothing holding you back. That's what 2024 is, the year of the dragon. Has shout out to all the dragons out there. But dragon or not, dragons are furious and they breathe fire and you can do the same thing with your grief and then you can open your heart and soul to your joy. Anyway, I'm babbling, I suppose, but I love me and uh, there you have it and you should love you and maybe I love you too and maybe you love me too, who knows? It's all about love. This is Chef Rossi for Raging and Eating and as always, Food is love, and so are you. Now try the collard green and bok choy salad. I'm telling you, it is delicious. Plus, it's good for you, too, which is not bad. And it's a great form of roughage. So, you know, hey, we all need our roughage. All right, I'm out of here.